Hey everybody, I'm Paul Checker. Before you dive into this amazing conversation with Vince and Tim Brown, I want to update you on some recent sad events since this podcast was recorded in November 2022. I've known Tim Brown for more than a dozen years. During that time, he has taught me and thousands of others to meditate. Tim also became a dear friend. In June of 2023, we tragically lost Tim from this physical world. This came as a huge shock to many people, an indication of what a profound impact Tim had on so many lives. It was a great loss for a great many people, from those who knew Tim from a distance to those who were closest to him. Tim was a guide and a community leader for people from all walks of life, and that was his gift. The ability and presence to connect with everyone he made us all feel special. He has left us with much wisdom for living, as you will hear over the next 60 minutes. I hope that you take some of what you hear and use it to make your life and the life of people around you just a little better. Welcome to Design Your Life, the podcast where we explore the central role design plays in our everyday lives and how, if harnessed correctly, has the power to positively transform the way that we live, design better businesses and sustainable solutions for the planet. We speak to creative entrepreneurs around the world about how they inspire their ideas to life and how they make it all work and the role design plays in their lives. I'm your host, founder of Frost Collective and author of Design Your Life, Vince Frost. At Frost Collective, we are dedicated to designing a better world. Our specialist teams work across branding, strategy, place visioning and wayfinding, solving problems with empathy and creativity to design experiences that benefit people, business and the planet. And as a proud certified B Corp, we meet the highest environmental and social standards by balancing profit with our purpose to design a better world. To find out more, head to frostcollective.com.au. Welcome to today's episode of Design Your Life, the Fittish series. Today I catch up with the wonderful meditation expert, Tim Brown. Tune in as we chat about how his experience living in Uzbekistan in the 90s shaped his life and how he discovered meditation and the mental and physical health benefits that come with meditation. The thing that struck me during this chat with Tim was how accessible meditation is and how setting aside a couple of minutes a day to invest in your health will have a positive impact on your life with mental and physical clarity. Hey, hey, Tim. Uh, welcome to Design Your Life. How are you doing? Yeah, I'm great, Vince. Uh, nice to meet you. Yeah, nice to meet you too. I've yeah. heard so much about you over the years. Yeah. It's been uh, Your name pops up all the time <laughs> with people that I know. And we'll find out today why, because uh, you've been doing this for quite some time. 20, 21 years this year, I've been teaching meditation and taught about 6,000 people over that time. So Amazing. Um, taught my three kids to meditate at four years of age, uh, teach a lot of mums, dads, kids, corporates, creatives, wow. um, elite sports, um, a lot of people with anxiety, depression these days, huge insomnia. They're probably the biggest motivators these days for people to learn to meditate. God, everything under the sun. Pretty much. Uh, I've got a lot of those uh, <laughs> issues as well. <laughs> so maybe we can work through this. Yeah. Yeah. Well, maybe we'll do that later. We'll yeah. do a little yeah. session if we can. Yeah. How long does it normally take? <laughs> yeah, yeah. Well, it'll take us a few days to get you up and running. But yeah. yeah. 
Yeah, incredible. So how did you how did you kick this off? How did you start? Yeah, mate, it really wasn't on my on my um, checklist at all. I wasn't really thinking about it. I was a country boy. Um, I studied agricultural economics at Sydney University. Mm-hmm. Um, I was a rugby playing, beer drinking, agricultural economist before all of this, and um, finished university. Went travelling. Ended up getting a job in Uzbekistan back in the nineties. Um, developing models to privatise agriculture in the former Soviet. Um, lived out in a Muslim village pretty much on my own for about almost three years. Wow. Uh, 95, 6, 7 and 8. Uh, no, 95, 6 and 7 I was out there. Mm-hmm. And um, then I came back to Australia. It was time to settle down, grow up and get a job. And the pressures of that really kind of started to impact me pretty deeply. And mm. uh, I was very, very fortunate to be introduced to a guy called Tom Knowles. And uh, he was the kind of go-to guy in Sydney for meditation back in the 90s. Mm. And uh, I really hadn't considered it. But um, I met him. He was an amazing guy. He was a trained neuroscientist uh, that had given up a career in neuroscience. Um, He was based in Wallara. He was married. He had kids. He was a pretty normal bloke. Mm. And that really resonated with me. And um, fortunately, I was smart enough as a 24-year-old to learn to meditate with him. And it changed my life. Wow. Did you did you at that time kind of reach kind of rock bottom or something? What Definitely, happened? yeah. I mean, I came back and um, you know I've been living in in an environment where people had absolutely nothing. Um, they they'd come out of um, Soviet rule, uh, uh, the Stans, Uzbekistan, Tajikistan, Turkmenistan, Kazakhstan, Kyrgyzstan had all gained independence in ninety one. Um, Russia basically pulled the pin on them, and uh, it was a pretty tough environment. And uh, yet I saw the community and the connection. The way they supported each other was really profound for me. I kind of came back to Australia and just realised what an incredibly fortunate environment we lived in. Um, and but it was very challenging, you know, to see opulence, mm. you know, and also a lot of unhappiness. Yeah. And so it really got me asking some pretty existential questions. Age twenty four. Mm. And what were those questions? <laughs> what the hell is this all about? Yeah. <laughs> you know, and, uh, you know, is this what we do for the rest of our lives? And, you know, what's the value in that? Um, and, yeah, it really made me start to think very deeply and um, mm. how I was going to navigate this next fa- phase of my life um, artfully and, and to make it a meaningful and purposeful experience. Did that make you, I guess, change your whole value system. It really did, yeah. It, it had a huge impact on that. It was like, what's, what's important here mm. um, and what's valuable and what's worth doing? And I was very keen, you know, to, to you know, get married and to have children. I wanted to spend time with them. Um, I wanted to be involved in their lives. I wanted to be around them. I think, you know, the last generation probably wasn't great at that yeah. in many ways, and I wanted to do that differently. Mm. Um, and so I was looking to kind of develop a, a way of, um, you know, doing something meaningful and pur- purposeful and also being very present and available to my family life. That was very important to me. Was this at age 24? Age 24, yeah, yeah. Jesus. <laughs> uh, did you grow up with a kind of a more spiritual family? Not at all, no, no. Well, I mean, I, you know, I got sent off to a you know, Catholic boarding school, um, but um, no, it wasn't a very spiritual kind of environment. Mm. Um, yeah, I mean, you know, the time in Uzbekistan, I'd always been a fairly deep thinker, um, but the time in Uzbekistan really gave me some time to reflect and to think and space and... There wasn't a hell of a lot going on in the Fagana Valley of Uzbekistan in uh, 1995, mm. six and seven. So, um, yeah, it gave me a, some time to contemplate. 
Wow, that really changed your, your life. Trajectory significantly, yeah. Yeah. Gave me the confidence to kind of step out into the unknown and, and um, do what I wanted to do. So when you came back, yeah. you, 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 you met Tom. Yeah. Um, <laughs> was he hard to find? No. Well, it, you know, it's an amazing story. I was at a family function, actually, and, you know, not having a great time in Sydney. And, I mean, I was back with family and friends, and it was all meant to be great, and I just wasn't feeling mm. fantastic about it. You know, I found myself at the same pub on the same night of the week having the same conversation mm-hmm. that we were having four or five years earlier. And... Um, and, and it really was a bit like Groundhog Day. I was like, is this what, is this what the next 20, 30, 40 years looks like? And uh, I was at a family function, an incredibly intuitive aunt of mine um, kind of herded me into a corner like a sheepdog. <laughs> she, looked me, uh, she looked me dead in the eye and she said, how are you settling back in? And I went, oh, yeah, it's great, you know, absolute bullshit. Yeah. You know, I wasn't. And she, she could tell. She could tell. And she said, I think you would benefit enormously from learning to meditate. Mm. I think I had a beer in each hand at that. <laughs> I was <laughs> double parked. for you. Yeah. <laughs> double parked. And, uh, and I think I almost dropped both of them. I was like, what a strange thing to say. And uh, anyway, she said, look, have a think about it. Um, and if you're ever interested, let me know and I'll put you in contact with the right person. Mm. Turned around and walked away. I was like, that's the strangest conversation I've ever had. Completely forgot about it. Uh, six weeks later, you know, I was trying every other method of feeling relaxed and happy. Um, all the, you know, the ones mm-hmm. that 24-year-olds tend to experiment with. Mm-hmm. <laughs> Alcohol and various other substances to yeah. you know, see if that worked. Yeah. Um, and they did temporarily, but not, um, not sustainably and not permanently. And, um, and I remembered the conversation. And uh, so I rang her and I said, look, I, I need to do something. Uh, I need some help. And she said... I'll put you in contact with this guy. And I remember rolling up to the house, uh, the, the terrace in Paddington, and, uh, and um, knocking on the door. And this bloke answered the door, you know, in moleskins and a shirt. And I could see his RMs kind of up the back there. And I just assumed he was the secretary, you know. I, I, assumed, <laughs> I assumed the big kahuna was upstairs <laughs> levitating. You know, I had no idea. Right? Yeah. And, um, and, uh, and I said, I remember saying, oh, I'm here. My name's Tim Brown. I'm here to meet with Mr. Knowles. And this guy looked at me very somberly and said, um, he's expecting you. <laughs> and then just stood there. And I was like, is there a password to get in here? How do you get, how do you get into this joint? Oh, and then he broke into this big smile. He said, uh, he said, by the way, you can call me Tom and come in. Oh, sweet. And I spent an hour and a half with him. And we talked about stress and um, we talked about quantum field physics and unified field theorem and spirituality and a whole bunch of things. And at the end of that, he said, um, Tim, you're, you seem like a relatively bright kind of a kid, <laughs> a young fella. Mm. Um, he said, uh, we could talk about this for a lifetime. He said, but what's going to make a difference is you learning to meditate. So have a think about that and come back to me. And I said, I've thought about it. Sign me up. Wow. And On the spot. I, I learned to meditate. He said, righto, well, let, talk to my you know, PA downstairs and see what we can do. And there was a spot the next day at 10.30 and I, I walked back into that uh, terrace 10.30 the next morning and, and learned to meditate with him. And never looked back. Never looked back. So let's talk about 
the effect of that? Well, yeah. I mean, what did you feel in an instant difference in your life? I instantly felt just more relaxed and more at ease. I, you know, suddenly realised I'd been running on adrenals, you know, for years, you know, and um, and I suddenly uh, in the first session I just started to feel more relaxed, more at ease. Um, you know, he explained to me that that was you know my brain chemistry changing from. Uh, adrenaline, noradrenaline, cortisol, all that flight-fight chemistry yeah. into starting to flush with serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. And I just started to feel that relaxed, connected, at ease kind of feeling almost immediately. And, um, and he trained me how to – he taught me how, to, how, how I could do that for myself – and that was the beauty of it. He wasn't saying, well, you've got to keep coming back to me. He said, I'll show you how to do that. Mm. And then you can do that for yourself every day. Yeah. Um, I now refer to it as, you know, learning to ride the meditation bike. Mm. Uh, and that's what I, you know, talk to people about now is I, I said, I'll show you how to ride the meditation bike. Yeah. And when you learn to ride a bike, you know, I think we were fortunate enough to have someone that fitted us for the bike, was willing to hold the back of the bike and give us some half decent in, uh, uh, instruction, a few, you know, words of encouragement. Mm -hmm. We're all a bit wobbly in the beginning, but soon enough, you know, it was something we could do. You never forget. Meditation is exactly the same. So in the Vedic, Vedic meditation is what we call it. Um, you know, it's correct mantra passed on correctly with correct instruction. And that's the knowledge that has been passed down through an unbroken line of teachers for over 5,000 years. And so, you know, it's got this beautiful so out of, out image. Out of India? Or out of it? India, yeah, yeah, out of India. Um, and that's always really interested me. It's like, why India? And one of the best explanations I've ever heard is with the Himalayas. They call it the Himalayas in India, not the Himalayas. Mm -hmm. That's very Aussie, Himalayas. Um, the Himalayas to the north, ocean on three sides. India is a continental island. And for millennia, no one could get an army over the Himalayas. Um, and people hadn't worked out how to use boats. And as a result of that, India developed as a very sophisticated nation because mm. it wasn't having to war. It wasn't engaged in warfare. Mm. Um, it wasn't having to defend its borders. And as a result of that, it invested, the people of India invested their time into agriculture and out of that came specialization and cultural de development. It became a very, very sophisticated nation very early in human history mm. because it wasn't having to fight wars. And people got to that stage of, asking questions you know how does the how does the mind work and the body and the emotions and how does that relate to everything else they started thinking about that very early in human history mm. and you know that's where this knowledge these knowledge lines came out of and we're very fortunate but these techniques are, are not intrinsically indian they're intrinsically human and uh, and that's really the beauty beauty of it Mm. Um, the way I talk about it, it's a bit like a BMW is very good German technology, but you don't have to dress up like a German and speak German to enjoy a BMW. Yeah. And that's exactly the same with meditation, practice correctly and appropriately. So I really acknowledge that lineage of over 5,000 years. And there's some you know, traditional aspects to the learning, um, but this is good conscious technology. Mm. That's what it is. And apply it appropriately and, and, and integrate it into a day-to-day -day lifestyle. Uh, in modern-day living, it's a very powerful practice to have. 24, how old are you now? Yeah, no, no, wait, 20 years later, maybe. No, 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 21 years here. So I'm, uh, I'm 40, how, 48, about to be 49. So, so, yeah, the world hasn't got any better, has it? <laughs> well, mate, I mean, things are just escalating, right? Yeah. And... Um, I was watching a TED talk the other day. It was one of the world's leading neuroscientists. 
he was saying someone living in a city anywhere in the world in 2022 is being exposed to the same levels of stimulation in one day that someone 200 years ago, which in the scheme of human brain and nervous system development is just blink of an eye, would have been exposed to in their whole lifetime. Wow. And he graphed it. And it was so interesting. That is scary. Isn't that incredible? So, Do people see that as a benefit? <laughs> well, well, I think, you know, the question is, you know, how do we manage that, that experience? I actually think there's intelligence in it. Um, the, the theme of this age, when I went traveling in 1995, none of us had a mobile phone. No one had an email address. There was no such thing as the internet, no such thing as social media. Mm. That's 25 years ago. I and mean, it sounds like Jurassic Park. Yeah. We were sending postcards and... You remember the Paravion, the little Bayer, the little oh, light, the air, super the blue, lightweight? Yeah, beautiful blue paper. Do you remember yeah. that? Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you remember that? And you'd, you'd send them and then you'd beat them home, you know. <laughs> you'd get home and <laughs> your parents are like, later. why didn't you write? Yeah. <laughs> it's like, I did. Yeah. <laughs> um, wow. So the, we've, we've moved into, in the last 25 years, we have moved into a completely new paradigm. Mm-hmm. And we've all been so excited about the new Nokia or the new iPhone or whatever. Yeah and assimilating that into our lives. But the impact of that has, has, has been this massive escalation in stimulation. Mm-hmm. And the third law of thermodynamics is as you excite or stimulate any system, it will move towards a state of disorder and chaos. Yeah. And the opposite of that is also true, which is as you de-excite any system, it will move towards a state of order. And the qualities of an orderly conscious state as stated by neuroscience, uh, clarity, creativity, energy, joyfulness, mm-hmm. intelligence, perspective, and a printout as physical well-being. That's the printout. Mm. As we start to stimulate and overstimulate any system, it moves towards a state of chaos. And that prints out in the mind and body as a lack of clarity, so the conscious fog sets in. We lose creativity, we lose energy, lethargy, lose joyfulness, lose perspective, um, relationships, relationships, yeah. um, and the, the printout in the mind and body is a lack of ease mm. mentally, physically, and emotionally. And if unchecked and unaddressed, will migrate into dis-ease. And we're seeing that happen at inordinate levels. Dis-ease. Dis-ease. Disease. Yeah. Yeah, disease. Are you looking at me going, you're screwed? <laughs> I can tell, I can you? Mate, you're looking pretty buff there. Oh, you're, looking, <laughs> you're in good shape, mate. Oh, I'm okay. No, physically, yeah. I'm, I'm, I'm good. Um, mentally, it's interesting you say that because, I mean, that's obviously, I'm a, a crazy creative person. And, mm. and I, I, kinda, I, I guess the question I have is, do we all have the same minds? Mm. Do we fundamentally kind of think and act and feel the similar things? I think there's, uh, from the Ayurvedic point of view, the knowledge uh, through, through which this comes is called the Vedic knowledge. Um, and the, the mind-body side of that um, is what's referred to, how to influence that is called Ayurveda. Ayus means life, Veda means knowledge, life knowledge, how to promote yeah. life. Yeah. And there's different types of mind-body types. Um, and you may have heard of pitta, vata, kapha, you may not have, but everyone's got those qualities, but there can be different you know, elements or different ratios of that in someone's constitutional makeup. So for instance, you, are, you and I are both, we've got a very similar setup. You know? um, so we are what we call pitta kapha, constitution. So pitta, that fire, drive, precision, go forward, visually inclined, playful, when we're balanced, playful. Yeah. 
um, you know, a little bit mischievous when we're when we're you know in in good balance. Hairy in places. Yeah, hairy in places that we shouldn't be hairy, and <laughs> and not hairy where we should be, mate. <laughs> Um, yeah. And, you know, but when we get out of balance, um, quick to anger, hot under the collar, yeah. we run hot, yeah. um, acidity in the gut, it's where things like reflux, um, issues with bowel, irritable bowel syndrome, those kinds of things. Don't want to get too personal. No, mate, you but totally that... <laughs> described my, my movement this morning. <laughs> um, we won't share that with everyone. Yeah. Um, but, you know, we go kind of, that's our tendency. So there are different setups, but there is some basic fundamentals. And that, again, is excite, overstimulate any of these systems and they'll move towards chaos. You know, and if we de-excite them, which is really becoming the new skill in this world where the stimulation levels yeah. have just escalated in a very short period of time, we have got to work out really um, how to, on a daily basis, de-excite our conscious state. And that's what meditation is. Very simple is application of the fourth, of the third law of thermodynamics. De-excite the system. What does that bring? Rest and relaxation. What does that do? Turns off the adrenals, turns on the serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin. Um, and we need to do that daily. Someone a generation or two ago, if they were sleeping pretty well and getting a couple of really good relaxing holidays a, a, a year, they were managing their stress, yeah. tension, fatigue load. That time is over. No. We are operating in a new paradigm. We need to approach it differently. Yeah, yeah. That's where meditation becomes a very powerful exercise. Really cool. I mean, you talk about life, life knowledge. Mm. And, you know, our podcast, Design Your Life, really is about yeah. that. It's like, how do we as human beings live better, yeah. live longer, be yeah. healthier? Um, and I'm on that quest continually, as, yeah. as most human beings are, we trying all to are, find right? our way, you yeah, know? Yeah. And it's like there's times when you kind of see the light and you kind of get it right. Other times you just go, oh, my God, we are you're not in a great place and kind of mm -hmm. find that you're constantly kind of at battle with the world yeah. unintentionally. Yeah. Um, and, you know, a big thing we came along through social media was the FOMO yeah. and that fear of missing out. Yes. And... That is something which those phones and, and all that technology has been designed to be highly addictive and play on our mm. addictive nature, which we all have. Mm. And it, that's, that's escalated and, and you just feel like you're constantly on, mm. always on now, 24-7, mm. there's live feeds, there's stuff, you know, whatever it might be, whatever you listen to or watch or read or yeah. people message you at any time of the day and it's mm. kind of, it's so full on. Yeah. So how do you, how do you navigate that? So... Um, I talk about, you know, what, what we're experiencing is we're being pulled up into the, what I call the front row of the conscious cinema. So with the rigors of day-to-day -day mm -hmm. life and the overstimulation and not getting enough rest and relaxation to defrag the system to, to adjust that, we're getting pulled up into the front row of the conscious cinema. And it's a bit like you go to the movies, you know, you watch Top Gun Maverick and you get stuck in the front row. And that's a very uncomfortable experience, you know, trying to watch that film, you know, while it's all, it's really horrible. Mm. Yeah. It's a great flick, but, you know, horrible if you're in the front row. Now, the solution is not to leave the cinema because, you know, then you miss out on the, you know, great flick. The, the artful response is how do I get back a few rows in that cinema? Mm -hmm. And if we can get back a few rows in the cinema, then the screen drops back, the sound settles, uh, chock top in one hand, someone you like next to you, or, you know, popcorn if you're a savoury kind of guy. I'm, getting your, I'm guessing you're more of a <laughs> yeah. sweet tooth. Yeah. Oh, no, I'm thinking I'm salt, salted oh, popcorn, really? actually. Interesting. 
Um, and uh, <laughs> another piece of information that I have. Yeah, for you. there you go. Um, but you know, we can be, we can really lend ourselves emotionally and sensorially, really get into the into the film, knowing we're comfortably in the chair with our popcorn, mm. and that changes everything. Now we don't want to be in the front row because we'll get overwhelmed there. We don't want to be in the back row because we're kind of disengaged and might as well be at home watching it on Netflix, right? But there's those great seats right in the middle. And, you know, back in the day, you don't, you and I'd remember before all this internet business, mm -hmm. um, you know, yeah. you'd, you'd queue up very civilly and chat to the people in the queue. They'd open the doors and it'd be like elbows out, right, <laughs> going for those great seats in the middle. Yeah, yeah. Um, now these days with pre-booking, you know, all those middle seats go in the middle and then the front, you know, the back mm. and the front then go. So life's all about being in the sweet spot. Yeah. And life is pulling us this way um, as we get pulled up into that experience, we become overwhelmable, much more um, overwhelmed, easily overwhelmed. And then we load with stress, tension, fatigue. Therefore, we get pulled more into the front row of the conscious cinema and the whole spiral starts to go that way. The natural response if we're caught in that front row is either to fight to eliminate the demand. How do I get rid of the demand? Or how do I get away from it? Fight or flight. Mm. And we get stuck in that modality and we're seeing so many people get stuck in that state and they don't know how to get out. Do they know they have an option though? That's exactly the point is most people think if I could just get rid of the demands, I'd be okay. Yeah. But that actually doesn't solve the problem. Oh. And so we've got to work out how to get back a few rows in the conscious cinema on a daily basis, not annually, not by, not every couple of years throw a pandemic in the mix, that'll accelerate the yeah. whole process for you. Yeah. We've got to work out how to get back a few rows in the conscious cinema daily. And that's exactly what Vedic meditation does. It gets the mind settling and it gets us to, to get back a few rows in that conscious cinema. And we're able to then ac access conscious altitude. It creates space mentally, physically, and emotionally. And then we can see our thinking, we can see our emotions instead of being consumed and and identified by them, we're able to witness our thoughts, witness our speech, witness our action. And then we can see whether that's constructive and productive, or we can see whether it needs refinement or adjustment. If we're up in that front row of the conscious cinema, we're completely enmeshed in it. We are it. And we're governed by what's referred to as premature cognitive commitment. Before we've had time to think about it, we're down a, th a thought pattern. We're down a speech pattern. We're down an, uh, an action pattern before we've even thought about it. And what that is, is past overwhelm governing the way we think, speak, act, engage, relate in the present, which will therefore determine our future. And unless we process out that past overwhelm, our past will govern our future and we'll get caught in repetitive thought, speech and behavioral patterns. And that's where we get caught in Groundhog Day which is my favorite movie of all time. By the yeah, way. it's awesome. And Are you so, hypnotizing me? <laughs> I feel like I'm being hypnotized. <laughs> it's the, it's oh, the it's, finger movement. Watch yeah. my finger, Vince. <laughs> um, so this is what we've got to do. We've got to launder that stress, tension, fatigue, that past overwhelm. We call them sam samskara. The samskara is where we get our word scar from, the scars of the past, mm. which from the Western psychology point of view, you know, is referred to as the, as the subconscious. And we need to launder that out of the fabric of the nervous system. And as we do that, that cleans the lens mentally, physically, and emotionally for us to be able to engage in the present on its, mer on its merits, not governed by past overwhelm. Then we're able to engage in the present on its merits. 
um, rather than overreacting or underreacting, which is what that past overwhelm will make us do. And therefore, we're able to engage in the present on its merits, which therefore allows you know, our future to start evolving. And this is where progressive change and evolution and our, our life storyline starts evolving rather than being caught in this repetitive yeah. So how, how do you see that manifesting in people? Do you see quite, quite significant change in, in that? In yeah. That? I mean, I see, yeah, I mean, I see people come in and quite often people have done a fair bit of life you know, research before they get to me. Um, but what we will often do, we've been trained to do, is you know, someone's feeling very uncomfortable you know, and it's like, I need change. Yeah. And what they'll do is they'll go and change the relationship, change the work, change the yeah, geography, yeah, yeah. change the, all that. And what they do is Should unless... have done all of those. <laughs> and it's good research to do. It's not, it's not incorrect. But what they'll do is they'll then, unless they shift and adjust their conscious state, they'll just go over here and they will re- recreate that same scenario yeah, with somebody exactly. else, you know, with another partner, another work environment, another geography. And that's what we're all here to do is to do the research we need to do to get to the point to ask the questions that we need to ask. Yeah. And there's a built-in mechanism in the universe that says when the student is ready, when we've done enough research and we've got to the point and we're actually really asking the questions yeah. genuinely, then that knowledge will turn up somehow or other. And it might be in a book, it might be in a song, it might be through nature, yeah. it might be in a conversation like this. Yeah. Depending on our level of inquiry, we will draw towards us, you know, that which we need. But we need to get to the point to ask the question. Yeah. And that's a valid, that's valid research, whatever that takes. Starting off kind of a younger version of myself, you naturally think it's everything else around you that's wrong. Yeah. That, I mean, not, not in terms of being egotistic, but in terms no. of thinking, you're kind of trying to navigating the world and how it works. Yeah. And then over time, you realize there's repeat patterns, this thing, you realize that you are actually the heart of the problem. There's a common denominator. Yeah, and yeah, it's, and it's me. And it's it's, it's an opportunity, not a, it's, you see it as a problem, but you yeah. see it as an opportunity, an opportunity yeah. to change. And by no means am I perfect at all. Yeah. But there's certainly, there's some things I've done in my life that I know, I've done exactly that. I've flown to mm. other countries, yeah. I've changed relationships, et cetera, et cetera. Yeah. Um, only to be back in a similar situation, or, or like what you say when you came back from being overseas, mm. you just felt like you felt like empty, or, or um, you know that you felt like your meaning in life was not there, even though you were in an incredible country. Yeah, um, and I guess that's interesting. You talked earlier about like you know you deal with like mega famous people mm. and. Uh, Real people and who are actually real people yeah, too. Yeah. And people who have achieved a huge amount mm. and just are lacking clarity or happiness or, or yeah. whatever they might be or focus. So it, it, it's applicable to everybody, isn't it? Oh, and, um, you know, I get people walk in all the time and, they're, you know, they've done the research. They've done the acquisition model. You know, they've got, you know, got the family, got the friends, got the this, got the that, got the, you know, and they get to that point. It's like, but I'm still not happy. I'm yeah. still not feeling content. And how do, and how do you feel? You feel terrible exactly. about that. It, in fact, it even, feels even more terrible because you've got what everybody else is trying to achieve yeah, yeah, yeah. and you're still not happy. That's incredibly confronting. Is that when people start self-sabotaging? Uh, well, they'll they'll start doing all kinds of things, you know, in that in that feeling, and what it does, it brings this feeling, you know, and what they've had to do to achieve that also is, you know, it's like, well, what have you had to do? How have you had to behave to kind of get all of that? Can often be the question, and often not necessarily, um, you know, they've not behaved particularly well. Right. Anyway, you know, they then start asking questions, but you know, what 
in that constricted conscious state, there's a natural desire to feel relaxed, connected, and open. That's a natural desire. And us humans will do all kinds of things to have that experience. And that, of course, is where people will start doing all kinds of things like, you know, alcohol, you know, recreational drugs, um, you know, all kinds of things, food, um, you know, compulsive traveling, um, exercise. I mean, I've seen people develop what's generally referred to as addiction. I prefer to refer to it as dependency relationship. And that can be from mild to moderate to acute to clinical, you know, levels of that. Mm -hmm. Um, But we will go to the outside world to try and work out what's going to make us feel relaxed, connected and open. Now, alcohol will do that to you, you know, for you temporarily. We feel like this, we have a few drinks, and we feel a bit more relaxed, connected, and open. That feels good. That feels better than this. But then we go whack back into this. It's like, this this feels like shit. This is no good. I want to feel like this again. And so, you know, this is where, depending on someone's level of that, they then become dependent on that external thing, whatever it happens to be. And it can be alcohol, it could be social media, it could be we'll find. If we're feeling like this, we'll find something to make us feel like this. Isn't meditation another form of that though as well? Well, what happens is when we're doing it, when we're doing it with external or exogenous product, um, the reason those things work is because we are designed to produce that natural biochemistry by our own brain and body, but we're not producing it. And so that's why we feel so mentally, physically and emotionally incarcerated. So um, when someone's in that state and they don't know how to produce that, get their, their mind and body to produce that, they go to the outside to find it. When we can learn how to meditate and switch that natural biochemistry on, I mean, I joke with people. I say it's the best gear going round. <laughs> <laughs> it's pure, you know, yeah. serotonin, dopamine, oxytocin produced by your brain and body, not manufactured in a bathtub somewhere with some cleaning products. Yeah. This is the best stuff going round. And it will activate those um, neuroreceptor sites. And when those neuroreceptor sites are activated with your own natural biochemistry, then the desire for those other things starts to go away. And as you said before, you know, everything is about, there's only one topic worth discussing in the whole universe, and that is relationships. And the primary relationship that we have is between our own mind, body, emotions, and essential nature. And the quality, to whatever degree that relationship is integrated will determine the quality of relationship we have with absolutely everything else, with family, with friends, with careers, with money, with um, time, um, houses, cats, dogs, and goldfish, whatever it is that we're relating to is going to be a reflection of the relationship that we've got with ourselves. Mm. The world is to us as we are to the world. Mm. The world is a self-referral phenomenon. Yeah. And that's the realization you were talking about. We suddenly realize we take ourselves to the world and it's reflecting us back to us. Right. The less conscious finger point. And there's that old saying, when you're pointing a finger, you've got three pointing back at you. Yeah. <laughs> Very confronting. Yeah, yeah. Um, but we suddenly realize that this is simply reflecting us back to us. And instead of you know, wasting our energy trying to fix all of this, the more conscious say, well, I'm seeing repetitive, you know, patterns out here. That's information for me about me. And this is where, you know, Martin McGunney's famous saying was, be the change you want to see in the world. You see the need for change in the world. That's information for you about you, not about it. 
There's nothing absolutely going on out here. The world is simply mirroring us back to us. So it doesn't make you want to take off and live back in Orange or somewhere remote, hide away from society? I mean, you're in the heart of it still, right? I, I deliberately set up my centre in Paddington opposite the Four in Hand pub in the, in the densest uh, you know, population um, in Sydney uh, because I want to show people you could do this right in the thick of it. The ultimate goal of meditation is to enjoy stillness in the storm, stillness inside of dynamics. Anyone can access stillness, you know, in Mullumbimby or, you know, wherever. Mm. Um, but that's no real achievement. And the world doesn't need more people sitting in caves or outside of society. It needs more people with clarity, creativity, energy, joyfulness, solution-based thinking, right in the thick of it, mm. tackling the problems of our, you know, our current society. That's what we need, not people in caves. This is the age of the secular. And while this technique is an ancient technique, what it does is it, it's what we refer to as the householder technique of meditation. There are some techniques that are designed for reclusive monastics, people that want to head for the hills and roll the rock in front of the door. There's a tenth of 1% of the world's population that are naturally and they are born that way. The rest of us are householders. And as attractive as it might sound on a you know, Thursday at about you know, 11 o'clock <laughs> to head for the hills, you know, it's attractive sometimes. It's not the way we're designed to live. We need to be in the world and have a conscious, have the conscious altitude to be in this, but not overwhelmed by it. Yeah. And for years, people used to say to me, you know, tell me in one word what meditation can deliver to me. And I couldn't think of a word, so I made one up. And so when people ask me that question, my response is unoverwhelmability. Yeah. Unoverwhelmability. Because we're, if we're able to get back That's a, a few rows in the... Yeah. <laughs> lots, of, lots of syllables in there. <laughs> But if we can get back in that conscious cinema, we can't be overwhelmed by anything. Yeah. And it doesn't mean that we're dissociated. That's the back row of the conscious cinema. We don't want to be there. We want to be in that, those sweet seats where we can be engaged but not overwhelmed. And that allows us to be inside of the dynamics and a part of the solution rather than inside the dyna dynamics and part of the problem. When I get opportunities to do talks around the world and stuff. I'm very thankful for that. Um, or even doing this podcast, I actually get quite anxious. I get mm. nervous about it. Mm. Um, which can, if I, if I have something coming up, uh, multiple things coming up, they all kind of compact. Yeah. You know, things I've talked about doing, a whole bunch of projects I've got on that I've talked about for a year. And for some reason, they all kind of come around <laughs> at the same time. Yeah. And I get, I get excited by it. Yeah. I get uh, motivated by it, but there's a side to me that starts to get, um, you know, start sleeping badly. Yeah, yeah. I start getting more anxious. Yeah. Um, people around me get quite angry with me. Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Self-referral phenomena, right? Well, yeah, it is. It is the finger thing. <laughs> yeah, it's the yeah. three or yeah. whatever it is pointing yeah. back at you. Um, yeah. There's something like, again, it's like, oh, I'm just busy getting this stuff done. Yeah. And why do people keep saying you're coming across as being angry when yeah, I'm just yeah. being passionate. Yes. And, and for me, there's a difference, Definitely. <laughs> but clearly not well, in my aura. Yes, that's right, in, in your presentation to others. Yeah. And, I th you know, the high end of anxiety is anticipation. That's a beautiful emotion. We don't want to ever lose that because otherwise you become dead inside. Yeah. You know, we want to be, be passionate, but the, that out of balance becomes, you know, anger. You know, so it's all about finding that sweet spot of the emotion. But when we load with stress, tension, fatigue, and we're getting pulled up into that front row and we're not managing, we're not cultivating, curating a conscious state that can be in this and not overwhelmed by it, we get overwhelmed by it and, and our, our mental, physical, and emotional repertoire trims. 
and we don't have the ability to be in all of this and operating at a high grade level, we tend to trim our repertoire. And it's like fight or flight. I've just got to get things done. Yeah. And we start cutting, you know, things and people. And, you know, I'm just trying to, that's the classic pitta, go forward. But, you know, if we get into that mode and we're not able to maintain our awareness throughout, we can create a lot of collateral damage on the way through. And then we reach the goal. You know, I have achieved the goal. But there's a whole lot of collateral damage behind us. Yeah, of course. The collateral damage was never the intention, was it? Never. It was well intended. But as they say, you know, the path to hell is paved with good intent. And this is why we've got to develop a conscious state that can be process orientated, not out not outcome orientated. And as we become relaxed, we, we become someone that's dedicated to the process. We're very clear about where we want to go, you know, our goals, but we, we become devoted, enthusiastic to the process and the outcome ends up being greater than we could have conceived of otherwise. The, you say people are clear of their goals, but are you, do your goals change when you become much more focused and less pressured in life? Yeah, I think they do. I think, you know, because as we feel more of that relaxed, you know, kind of unbounded state, what happens is neediness drops. And neediness is the most unattractive of human qualities. Mm. It is, in the truest sense, of the re- uh, truest sense of the word, repulsive. It repels people, opportunities, resources, love, mm. all the things that are important to us. Whereas when we're relaxed and at ease and more, we've got more of that inner contentment, we've got more of that serotonin, dopamine bouncing around in our brain, then that neediness starts to drop. We still need things, but the neediness starts to go away. Mm. And that brings all that down. And then what happens is the point of life becomes not about me needing to get things done or needing, but how can I be of service? It moves from neediness to service. How can I be of service? How can I bring my individuality to the world and be of the highest service I possibly can be? And what we find is when we feel like that, we're not trying to think like that. That's mood making. That's not real. When we start to feel like that, then we move into service, which is what we refer to as dharma, D-H-A-R-M-A, dharma. And when we start to move into that where our individuality can express its highest qualities, we start to find that our desires get fulfilled. You know, we find ourselves in the right place, the right time, the synchronicity, Mm. the serendipity. It's mind-blowing. And we kind of think, I couldn't have organized this if I'd tried. And the stuff just happening is just crazy. Yeah. And, uh, And that's where our neediness drops, our service increases, our desires get fulfilled, and far from being off with the fairies, we're right in the thick of it. This technique was practiced by warriors before they walked into hand-to-hand combat to get themselves into that conscious state where they could be in it but not overwhelmed by it. And, you know, that's what I love about this practice. You know, Incredible. Yeah, yeah. I guess in, the, in this modern-day world, organizations like advertising companies and stuff have been, they deliberately play on our senses they, they manipulate our senses yeah um to want more and we clearly don't need majority of the stuff that's being sold to us yeah um but there is that i guess that kind of a magpie kind of we we like things we we just naturally seem to be attracted to things right we seem to like to touch and, and utilize our mm. senses for you know whether it's something you buy or eat mm. or have it's the having it's just got out of control mm. the owning uh is, is out of control, isn't it? I mean, that's, yeah. it's just what seems to be driving the most of the world is that 
accumulation, ownership. Yeah. And we talk about kind of country. We talk about how we, we shouldn't even, we buy houses here that shouldn't even be, it's not even our land really, yeah, is yeah. it? Yeah, no. Like, what's happened there? I mean, uh, the way the world is is so screwed, I think. <laughs> I, know, I know it sounds a bit no, gloomy, no, 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 but, it's, but I, it seems to be, we're so out of whack. Yeah. And how do we get it, how do we get it so wrong? Well, you know, the, the, again, when that neediness, we get pulled up in the front row of the conscious cinema, we're not feeling relaxed, happy, content, you know, what the mind will do is it's like, well, you know, if I go to the world and, you know, acquire, if I can get the body looking like that and the house looking like that and the partner looking like that and the kids like this, you know, the idea is that when I've got all that in place, then I'll be happy. You know, I'll be content, happy, and my to-do list will be empty and um, yeah. I won't have these incessant thoughts. Yeah. Now, I'll tell you right here, right now, that time will never come. No. Not because you're not clever enough. It's not because you didn't study hard, hard enough at school or university. It's not because you're not focused enough. It's because it can't be done. And it's like the horizon. You walk towards it and it falls away. And you walk towards it, it falls away. This is the premise of all anxiety and depression because we're putting all our effort and energy into trying to get to an endpoint that can't be achieved. And that is just exhausting people. Now, what happens is the conscious, the collective consciousness is like that. And all marketing is doing is just reflecting that back. I don't blame them. Yeah. And it's not, again, we can get into the finger pointing. You know, our conscious state is our responsibility. And we've really abdicated that. You know, we, we like pointing the finger. Yeah. And, you know, what we've got to do is come back to personal responsibility. Now, contentment, happiness, fulfillment, stability, non-change, freedom, they are desires that every human has where they've actually really thought about it much. They are fundamental human desires that must be satiated. And what we've been doing for a couple of thousand years is going to the outside world to try and acquire them. Mm -hmm. And the reality is, and we're getting to this point where Mother Nature is feeding back to us that that methodology is not sustainable. No. But contentment, happiness, fulfillment, non-change, freedom are available. They're just not available through relative material acquisition. They're available through conscious acquisition. Mm. And what we're learning how to do very simply with meditation is turn our awareness around and become aware of those quiet, still, unbounded, non-changing, stable, free aspects of our conscious state. And we acquire consciousness. And we're not trying to get rid of this. We want to add that onto this ever-changing, dynamic, um, outside world. And the ultimate goal and the amazing thing about these 40 billion neuron brains of ours is we can enjoy stillness inside of dynamics. And that really satisfies the conscious experience. If we're just involved in the ever-changing, you know, outside world, then the mind is not satisfied. If we're just experienced in a stillness without dynamics, the mind is not satisfied. It's got conscious FOMO. Back mm. to your point earlier, yeah. you know, I'm missing out on something. I don't feel complete. And until we can enjoy stillness, unboundedness inside of boundaries, stillness inside of dynamics, the mind is not going to be satiated. And if we're just looking in this direction to acquire our way to that experience, proven failed strategy. Doesn't work. Does, does James Packer look happy to you? You've got plenty of money and lots of houses and boats and all that. Does, does that guy look happy to you? Mm, I haven't met him. Yeah. But. <laughs> it's a good point. And, you know, but, but, you know, it's... it's uh, you know, There's people who look really happy to me that aren't happy. Yeah. I mean, how many people do you know that really enjoy themselves? Mm. 
that's our responsibility. That's yeah. our personal responsibility is to work out how to be able to really enjoy ourselves and then take that to the world. Yeah. And 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 make it lend it to the world and be of service with it. Yeah, that yeah. that's our personal responsibility. Well, it's interesting that uh, I've said it probably a few times now on the podcast, but the, the the pandemic, you know, the lockdown actually did make me sit in my garden looking at a tree for yeah. days on end. Good. It actually stopped me. It's like it's like when you stop coffee and and you know, a couple of days later you get this pounding headache. Yeah. The adjustment to actually being slow, slow things down, being in your place or a place. Uh, repeatedly, um, away from the kind of the, the the kind of craziness of the world, mm. it's quite interesting that that kind of like it kind of it was really uncomfortable, unsettling because mm. you're just used to running on adrenaline, like you okay. say, and then you kind of the whole world felt like it stopped. Yeah, you know, and and it's kind of a, it's just interesting to see that it didn't take that long before I started to enjoy it, yeah. and it's weird how you don't enjoy it. Whereas I didn't. Some people yeah. love their home. Yeah, yeah. Uh, for me, it was always like come in, get changed, yeah. get, eat something, go get out. out. Yeah, yeah, it was yeah. Just, just that yeah. kind of stopover place. Getting grounded again, yeah. it felt really good only to, I guess, quite soon after that to get busy again. Mm. The other thing that I want to talk about is well-being yeah. because well-being is huge now. Well, like, just on that, on that pandemic, I think, um, you know, what was that all about ultimately? You know, it was about humanity moving into the consumption model, um, and we were, that was just becoming over avarice and and out of control. Yeah. And um, and the way that Mother Nature will speak to us, you know, she'll whisper in our ear, mm. and if we ignore that, she'll tap us on the shoulder, and if we ignore that, she'll poke us in the chest, and if we ignore that, she'll slap us across the face, right up to what I call the cosmic kick up the kyber. You know, we get bent, bent over and you get the boot up the bum. Yeah. Now, that, the pandemic wasn't even that. That was just a bit of a poke in the chest. Yeah, yeah. But it was about consumption. Yeah. Um, you know, and what that was was Mother Nature. Sent, we all got sent to our bedrooms. It's like go to your bedrooms and have a good think about this. Yeah. You need to have a think about the way that you're relating primarily to yourself mm-hmm. and then to everything else. That's what that was. Yeah. And it was unbelievably disruptive and incredibly confronting. But this is, you know, and I wouldn't advocate it at all, but that's what this was about. And us humans have got to either learn the lesson, you know, um, and Mother Nature says, come willingly or come in cuffs. How do you want to do this? Yeah. But that's, they're the lessons and it's about learning those lessons. And it's not about, we don't need to head for the hills. We just need to spend a little bit of time every day. Yeah. And what I, I call meditation, a little bit of a way in every day. Yeah. Just like we like going on a holiday, we need to just spend a few minutes. Vedic meditation is 20 minutes in the morning, 20 minutes in the afternoon. Mm-hmm. You can do it on the bus, on the train, on the plane, in the in the boardroom. Um, so I'm pull the car think, over. I'm naturally going to go, can you do it in 10? <laughs> yeah, well, 10 minutes will give you 50%. Yeah. Uh, 15 minutes will give you 75%. 20 okay. minutes will give you 100%. Okay, cool. Um and I call it the, the I call it the Formula One pit stop of meditation. Amazing. In refuel, new tires, back on track. So how does that work? How did how did it work out? Twenty minutes was going to give you the ultimate. It's a natural circadian rhythm of rest. It's right. not a number that's been plucked from the ether. That'll give your mind and body the opportunity to go through a rest cycle, and that twenty minutes meditation for a novice meditator is equivalent to about three to four hours sleep. Wow. So you meditate twice a day for twenty minutes you're getting an additional six to eight hours rest equivalent, sleep Holy equivalent, cow. rest, into your brain and body before you go to bed at night. 
Therefore, your brain and body's proactively done the processing. It's done the laundry and defrag. Yeah. Therefore, it doesn't have to do it at night. Therefore, people start to sleep properly. That's my, that's my one of my issues. I mean, it's the snoring bulldogs yeah. and things <laughs> like that. <but laughs> that. You know, all insomnia is a very simple thing. You keep loading the body with stress, tension, fatigue, and not proactively processing that. The body's got to do that processing somewhere. Therefore, it has to do the night shift. That's going to throw you up into the waking state. That's insomnia for you. You start to proactively hit that pressure valve, and the mind and body doesn't need to do it at night. And these smartwatches, not this one, this is my grandfather's watch. Oh, nice. Um, but the smartwatches, people are walking in now, they've got pre-data on their wrist. And then they start meditating. I'll say, watch your, someone's got one of those watches, I say, watch your data. And within the first two, three days, their deep sleep REM percentages go up and their light sleep and waking goes down. Um, and, and that starts to trend very quickly. It's not rocket science. You know, give the mind and body the opportunity to rest deeply. It'll proactively launder. Therefore, you don't have to do it at night. Therefore, you sleep properly. Therefore, you need less sleep. Therefore, you wake up earlier in the morning, rested, relaxed, and ready to exercise, eat well, and meditate. I'm coming to see you tomorrow morning <laughs> at 10.30. is <laughs> the time. Yeah. Um, shit. Okay, well, this is good. Yeah. Um, now, what is it that stops us? from doing this because it was so logical it makes so much sense you got so many six thousand great examples yeah, yeah. what is it that stops human beings from embracing it connecting with it yeah look i think um you know if you look at photographs from a hundred years ago what you'll see is everyone's standing there with their mouths closed like this yeah because no one's got teeth right um because you know the idea of brushing your teeth yeah. was not something that was around yeah and then people kind of got onto that um and by the way that originated in india You'll see in India, people will walk up to a neem tree, which are there just everywhere, and they snap a little stick off in the morning, and it's like a, it's got soap, neem, neem, you know, neem soap. Yeah. They'll bend it in half, and oh, they sit wow. there and scrub their teeth like this, and it's got soap, antiseptic on it. Wow. And then they just fling this thing. You know, yeah. It's a disposable toothbrush. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And so that idea started to kind of translate, and then the big, you know, the big companies, you know, Johnson & Johnson, they all got onto it, and now we've all got these toothbrushes yeah. and toothpaste and stuff and now you know you see people in photographs and they're all you know smiley um that's where we're at with meditation we have moved into a new paradigm in the last 25 years um when i first started teaching meditation 21 years ago i would go to a kid's party or a dinner party and people would say oh what do you do during the day i'd say i teach meditation they would pick up their drink and walk up the other end of the bar they'd walk away um and i actually worked out how to work that make that work for me. Um, if the, boring, the conversation was getting, you know, boring, I'd say, do you know what I do during the day? <laughs> <laughs> um, but um, we are seeing, I mean, look at the apps, Insight Timer, yeah. um, Calm, Headspace. Yeah, mega. All these, they're valued at like three, four hundred million dollars, yeah, these yeah. things, that they did not exist seven or eight years ago. No. And we are seeing meditation stream into the collective consciousness. Now, those things are, you know, good starting points. And I'm, people must say to me, you must hate those things. I say, I love them because people at 3 o'clock in the morning when they can't sleep or they're anxious, they are having a go, they're downloading that and they're having a go. And then I see a lot of people will migrate, they'll graduate. I go, yeah, that's given me a bit of an experience, but how do I really take this to the next yeah. level? And so it's really wonderful. And we are seeing, and we will see in our lifetime, Vince, we will see that meditation will become about as exotic as brushing your teeth. Mm. Because that's what meditation is. Yeah. It's mental and emotional hygiene. Yeah. 
That's what it is. It's as simple as that. Incredible. And we are, we are seeing, we are living in a time where we are seeing that happen. It's very exciting. Do you think this coincides with people, the all-time issues around mental health? Yeah. Um, you know, the pandemic of, you know, ment- well-being and mental well health, mental, sorry. Mental well-being? <laughs> mental well-being, you know, like it's just, That's the it's pandemic. just like it's all That's the, the time people talking about it, it's become huge. Was it, yeah. is it huge or was it just not communicated as no, much it's, before? No, it's huge. And, and this escalation in stimulation is the, is the catalyst. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, yes, there was hidden in the past because it wasn't talked about, but this escalation in overstimulation is, uh, which is back to the Ayurveda point of view, is a vata imbalance, overstimulation. Um, is 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 creating a, a tsunami of of mental health uh, issues, and they will go in one of three directions: either towards anger management, towards anxiety, or to to depression. Anger is towards the pitta imbalance. Uh, anxiety and insomnia, uh, which is the other one, is a vata imbalance, and depression is the kapha imbalance. They're the three. They're the three ones, depending on someone's mind-body type. When they get overstimulated and stressed, their natural setup will move in one of those directions. Yeah, yeah. From mild to moderate to acute to clinical. Yeah. Yeah. That's what that is. So, you know, we're just living in a new paradigm. We need to adopt new practices, mm. just like the brushing the teeth. We need yeah. to – because it was really with the introduction of refined sugar that people's teeth started rotting. Yeah, down. exactly. And, you know, that the, the refined sugar equivalent of this age is – overstimulation yeah which is what the you know internet age has brought to our lives and it's not bad we just need to learn how to relate to it artfully there's nothing bad about anything it's about the conscious state that's relating to it Mm. that's something that we can govern we can govern this we can't control all the outside variables but we can cultivate a conscious state that can artfully relate to everything that's what we're into it sounds like you had an incredible life so far, <laughs> um, and it looked like you have redesigned your life. Have you? Have you? Do you feel like you've designed your life? Yeah, I, I mean, you know, I, I feel like I've been pushed and pulled by some pretty heavy forces, mm-hmm. but there were some really key fundamental things that I have shifted. You know, if I'd just kind of gone on the, you know, down the path that I was going, I would be, you know, teaching. I'd be, you know, an agricultural consultant somewhere. Mm. Um, and that wouldn't be a bad thing. It's just I never felt like that was really what it was yeah, about amazing. for me. And I found something that I'm incredibly passionate and love um, um, and do myself and makes a huge difference to my life. Mm-hmm. My wife and I had three kids under two years, nine months. Mm-hmm. No twins. They're currently 16, 17 and 18. Wow. Um, and I've been able to be... Available, and I'm, I'm, you know, I'm not saying I'm the world's best dad, but I've I've been present and available yeah. physically there, you know, right through. My eldest is sitting his maths exam as we're sitting here now, his HSC uh, oh, maths cool. exam, um, and that's been really important to me. And I can do something that I feel like makes a difference in the world. Amazing, and I feel very fortunate, and I'm very grateful and to that not- to that aunt that yeah. cornered me that day and said, you know. Are you okay? Yeah, yeah. That changed my life that moment. Incredible. Mm. And you, this podcast will help people change their lives too. And yeah, uh, hope so. how do people get hold of you, Tim? Well, um, I'm uh, timbrownmeditation.com. like to keep it simple. Yeah. Um, uh, and maybe people that are further afield. Um, I mean, I'm based in Sydney. Um, 
when I teach people, it's in person. That's a really important thing yeah. for us, that initial um, teaching. Um, but, you know, if people are further afield, you know, I'd encourage them to uh, Google Vedic meditation. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, if they're in Adelaide or Perth or London, we've got their teachers all over the world, all over America, Europe, yeah. um, Australia, New Zealand. Um, and Vedic meditation is just, you know, it's just such a great, simple practice. And, um, and it's not complicated. We just need correct mantra passed on correctly mm-hmm. with correct, correct instruction. Mm-hmm. But we need those three ingredients. And that's what the Vedic meditation teachers of the world, you know, are trained to be able to do. Mm-hmm. And then you've got a practice that you've got for life. Once you can ride the meditation bike, you got it. Yeah, yeah. And that's what I love about it. Okay, cool. Um, maybe we get you back and we do a session together. Yeah. Because uh, I, I definitely want to learn how to do it. Um, I desperately need it. Yeah, well, it'll be a pleasure. Yeah, cool. I'd, I'd love to do that with you. And, um, you know, we'll get you back on the bike. Yeah. Uh, you come in for what I call a meditation wheel alignment. We'll line you back up again <laughs> and get you back on the road. Fantastic. <laughs> Tim Brown, thank you so much for coming on my podcast today. A real pleasure, Vince. Anytime. Cool. Thanks for tuning in to today's episode of Design Your Life, The Fittest Series, with meditation expert Tim Brown. Listen to the next episode, where I catch up with Craig Andrade, ex-lawyer and founder of The Raconteur, a brilliant luxury artisanal fragrance brand based in Sydney, who I've recently collaborated with on our Frost Chapters candle project. Thanks for listening to this episode of Design Your Life. If you'd like to find out more about how you can design your life, head to the website at designyourlife.com.au. If you found this episode inspiring, please don't forget to review and subscribe. If you have any ideas or like to get in touch, we would love to hear from you. Send us an email at hello at frostcollective.com.au.